0: another episode of Hunger for the Outdoors. Um, Today we brought along a special
1: guest. This is a good friend of mine, Gibson. We've known him. How long have we known each other? It's probably been about 15, 16 years now. Yeah, it's got to be close that we met pretty young. Uh, He's a pretty avid fisherman and that's kind of what we wanted to cover today was um, particularly uh, river fishing. Uh, I know Gibson here, he hunts a lot of rivers up by his folks cabin, as well as Zach out there fishing the Snake River a lot. Um, So, Gabby, why don't you just take a minute and introduce yourself, kind of, tell us how you got into fishing, what drives you to go fishing every day.
2: Okay, Um, well, I started fishing with my grandpa when I was really young. Um, Just every time we went up to the cabin, we went and fished one of the forks of the Bear River. Um, I just, I like being outside. I like to fish. That's, that's why I go fish. What would you say is your favorite part about fishing? The favorite part about fishing is probably getting the fish on. I mean, there's nothing more exciting than feeling your pole drop and that fish just pull on your line.
0: The tug is the drug. Yep.
2: It's <laughs> so almost supposed to get hooked, right, babe? Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, you actually just went fishing out this morning, didn't you?
2: Yeah, um it was a little <laughs> bit colder. We're, <laughs> we're yeah, why don't you, why <laughs> don't you share with us
0: there? Oopsie. So a little,
1: a little preface with uh, he had to borrow my waders this morning because his new pair haven't come in yet. And I have a leak in the crotch in my waders.
2: Yeah, so I went out this morning. I got a new fly pole for Christmas. So we're January 2nd now. So it's pretty cold in Utah. Um, I went up and was on this fish I saw him swimming around and was just trying to get my fly on him. I cast upstream just a little bit and was just kind of trying to move with the water a little bit and stepped in a hole and the water came right in the waders and that was the end of the fishing trip because it was way <laughs> too cold to be outside with that.
0: And I think that's for any any experience like that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that's definitely a uh, the right move and safe move as well. You know, you don't want to be out there freezing your butt off for hypothermia for a fish.
0: Yeah, it's
2: definitely not worth it.
1: No, for sure. You got to be safe when you're out there, especially by yourself.
2: Yep. Where did you go? So I was fishing somewhere between Deer Creek and... What's the reservoir above Deer Creek?
1: It's not porcupine, is it?
2: No. Um, anyway, it's uh, mid part of the Provo River. Somewhere, I don't, I'm not 100% sure where, somewhere in there.
0: <laughs> but you're fishing the Provo River, and that's really, I mean, at least our listeners know yep. an area where they For been. sure. The Provo River is
1: really a staple for Utah fly fishing. Yeah. It is one of the best Utah fly fishing spots.
2: Everybody I've talked to about fly fishing said lower, upper, or mid Provo. I've got a couple Weber, but it's mostly just the Provo.
1: And what you said you're using a new fly pole that you got for Christmas.
2: What do you got? Yeah, so I've been using the TFO um, brand. It's the Black Max. Um, So far, I like it. Uh, Trying to teach myself a little bit more about fly fishing, I know a little bit, but trying to get into a little bit more, I don't know a ton, but I know enough.
1: Awesome. What kind of flies are you using today?
2: I had on a prince nymph for a little bit, and then I had some midges on, or midges, is that how you say it? Midges. Yep.
0: And that's that's perfect for early spring, you know, that's, and today that's what we're going to be covering is early spring fishing. So I think we should cover really three basic columns, Um, bait fishing for those that are guys that use live bait, Uh, lures, different lures to use in the early spring, and then flies. And I think that's going to be our most comprehensive because there's... You know, it's pretty straightforward with bait and it's pretty straightforward with with lures. Um, there's a little more variety of lures, but I think your most comprehensive and tactics and strategy is going to come from your, your fly fishing. So, Connor, why don't you start us off with bait? What do you use when you go bait fishing? Um, Honestly, I don't use a whole lot of bait. Um, what I'll
1: usually do is I'll like, throw out a power bait or something and fly fish. I'll use two poles, but... I've really personally never had much luck with bait fishing. I'll give you over here. He loves using worms, catches worms all day, every day. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you use worms, Gib?
2: Yeah, I really like using worms. Um, I find I have the most success when you start out. You just cast upstream a little bit, and you don't put so much weight on there that your bait just goes straight to the bottom. You put enough on it that your bait kind of tumbles with the flow of the river. looks more natural, better presentation for the fish, and you catch a lot more fish doing that. Especially in the spring.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, that's especially I think a uh, a good point to keep in mind with uh, spring fishing. A lot of these fish, they're coming out of this cold weather. They're going to be hungry. They're going to be active. You want something that's going to be very presentable and something that you can hit hard.
2: Yep. The yep. other thing you need to remember about um, early spring is fish are cold blooded. They're not going to come up on the top water very often. You want to get everything i was listening to another podcast today and he used the term low and slow
0: yep Mm -hmm. and uh for my early season you know throughout the year i like using three different kinds of bait when i'm bait fishing i use worms i use cut bait and i use a lot of minnows live minnows Um, but right now the minnows haven't really gotten big enough to where the the trout like to feed on them in idaho Mm -hmm. um One of my favorite things to use this time of year is a little bit of cut bait. I'll take a couple of suckers that I catch earlier in the year and I'll freeze them. And this time of year is the time of year where I'll get a chunk of it and throw it out there. And a lot of people don't quite utilize that. I know up at Henry's Lake is one of the best places that they utilize that, but if you're wanting to catch big, big fish and not a lot of them, throw out a chunk with cut sucker meat on it and there's a lot of big fish to be caught this time of year.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but if you're just going for numbers and you want to catch a lot of little dinks and the new spring and the, the little trout, throw on a worm, maybe a marshmallow, and uh, do exactly what Gibby's saying. Stay low and slow. Get it along there. Get it in their faces. And, I mean, you're more than likely to go home with a trout. Yeah, for sure.
1: I know when we were younger, we'd always... This was down in Lake Powell, but we'd always used hot dogs to catch
0: fish. That was pretty fun. And I think that's a lot more popular bait for catfish, is that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's something that is pretty common for catfish. Stinkier the better with catfish. Yep. Yep. Unless you're chasing blues, in which case you want to do live.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: But, yeah, I think that people have this conception of the stinkier the better, and they're absolutely right except for the one circumstance where the boys, they go down and fish for the big blues or the big flatheads, and they put a on the live bluegill, and that works just as well for them.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. They'll hit that real hard.
0: Um, But, Connor, you have a little more experience. Let's move over towards the topic of baits, uh, lures. What do you use?
1: I use mostly spinners with trout. Uh, It's just kind of what I grew up with. I mean, my dad, he taught me to... Use lures all the time, and so I've never strayed too much from that. You know, Uh, it's only been within the last year or two that I've gotten into exploring other routes. Uh, You know, I've mentioned I've used power bait in the past. I know some guys they hand on Bible swear to it, say it's the best thing ever, but then on the other hand, I've never caught anything on power bait. Um, And so it really, I think, no matter what you're using. Zach said to me best one day, he said, the most important thing with whatever bait you're using is your confidence in it. Because your confidence reflects on the lure and the fish are going to see that. And so I like to use, personally, a lot of spinner baits, uh, like jakes, uh, foxtails, stuff like that. Um, I'll usually look up f- uh, bodies of water that I want to go fish. I'll look up fishing reports rely on other people. There's a great app called Fish Brain that we all like to use here. Um, it's almost like an Instagram for fishermen. You can go see what kind of lures they are using, what time they caught it, where, how. Uh, get all this great information for going back to that scouting that we talked about earlier. Yep. In our says, last podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, scouting is not just for hunting, it's also for fishing. you got to do your research before you go. Uh, Sportsmen, they always have fishing reports up at their stores local waters you can see how good the fishing's doing
0: what's working what's not and i really use those yep and that's a great utilization really quick before we get off um too far <laughs> i want to take a step back i forgot a bait um and this is probably one of the most effective ones during the spawn trout eggs
1: oh yeah oh yeah definitely
0: i uh i knew a guy when i was growing up um last name was butterfield and I fished with this guy several times, and I swear to you, he could catch a, a six-pound trout out of the toilet. And that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> you go to his house, and he's got ones that are probably 10 to 13 pounds mounted wow. in his house. I mean, they're huge. But at the same time, he has a five-gallon bucket of salmon roe shipped back to him from Alaska each and every year after the season. And he fishes with that religiously. Um, and he does his all, all his own curing, and he does all of his own nets. And so they come in these little balls with the actual scent and he hooks him on himself. He cures it his and himself. He knows exactly what goes in there and I don't. But I tell you, I fished with him before and uh, I was fishing maybe 10 feet apart from where he threw his line and I had on a worm and that dude fished circles around me all day. So I think that's one bait that we can't say enough that it works, especially during the spawn. Yeah.
1: And it doesn't just work on trout, too. I know there's a small little community pond near us that has a bunch of bluegill in it. They'll hide in the rocks right next to the shore. We'll throw on just a, one salmon egg on the smallest hook I can find. I'll we'll drop it right there, right off the shore underneath these rocks. And you watch them come out, they'll sniff it a little bit, and they'll take it, and you just whip it up, you got yourself a bluegill. We caught probably four or five in 20 minutes. 20 minutes, yeah. You just walk around the pond, keep dropping it everywhere, and See where the bluegill are at.
2: So one thing with salmon eggs that I did growing up, my grandpa swore by this. It was a salmon egg on the very start. You put your salmon egg on first, take it to the very top, put half worm on put
0: a salmon egg on the bottom and throw it in. And you're using two different baits and you're not hurting your chances of catching anything at all. Nope. Mm -hmm. That sounds awesome to me.
1: Yeah.
0: Anyway, sorry to distract from that, but I just forgotten no, about that bait. I no, think,
1: I think it's a great tool, great bait to utilize. It's one that's underrated in my book. I don't see a lot of people using it.
0: I would agree and I actually have one of the best fish I've ever caught on salmon eggs. Um, up in Island Park of Idaho, um, I caught one of the biggest fish of my life on a salmon egg. So.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um,
0: um, I guess let's move it to Gibby on the the lures.
1: Yeah. yeah. Do you have anything to add?
0: Yeah, um,
2: like Connor was saying, he uses jakes. I swear by jakes. Um, I almost only use... Climbed up in a tree to get one of my jakes. Yeah, I had a, <laughs> I had a broken, broken wrist, climbed up in a tree to pull out a gold jake. So that's, that's what I use 98% of the time I'm using lures is a gold jake, golden red jake. And I think the type of lure, the type of bait, everything just really depends on where you're at.
0: I agree.
1: Yeah, fish can be so picky, especially day to day. I mean, and water to water, yeah, exactly. Day to day, water to water. It really just depends. I think that's the biggest challenge of fishing as soon as you get there. You don't be afraid, first of all, to ask other people what they're using. If they're catching fish, don't be afraid to go up. Hey, I see that you're catching a lot of fish. Um, what are you using? Mm-hmm. How, can I, how can I get better? I want to start
2: catching some fish too. You know, what are you using? And on and, the opposite end of that, if they're not catching fish, ask them what they're using so that you don't.
0: Make the yep. same mistakes yep. that they
2: did. Learn from them. For
1: sure. It's all about finding what the fish like that day, that particular time.
0: And I think people have this misconception that fishing is boring. That you got to sit there with a line in the water for hours on end and not get a nibble. And That's, then in reality, that, yeah. we're switching baits every five, maybe ten minutes if we're getting a hit or two.
1: Mm-hmm. That's also why I like using these spinners. You know, I don't like to just throw out power bait or a worm with a bubble and sit there and wait. When I like to be sitting there, I like to cast it out, reel it in, cast it out, reel it in. I like to be sitting there doing something, film productive. That's why if I do a power bait, I also throw out a fly.
2: And even with that, like, when I throw my worm out, I don't I don't let it sit for more than, you know, 45 degrees to the, my right and 45 to my south. It's a very continuous thing. If it sits too long, the fish get suspicious and they don't want to take it.
0: Yeah. And I will, I will back up what both these boys said. Um, Jake's Lures, I love their silver. I, I swear religiously by it. Um, another one that I grew up with that I found to be successful, but I feel in the past five years has declined in quality, is Panther Martin. I love them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I love their number fours. And I can catch fish all day, every day. I mean, they're pink chips well. Um, and so I don't care that they're pink chips, but if you get it right out of the package, it's a good lure. Um, but another one that people, I think, don't use as much um, that's kind of a got the stigma as a bass lure is a crankbait or a, a jerkbait. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm in a water where I know there's active fish feeding on <coughs> minnows, especially in the early season, I, will throw, I won't hesitate to throw on a, a really small uh, jerkbait. And I'm not gonna use it the way I would bass fishing when I'm jerk, jerk, jerking it. Um, but I would just steadily reel it in. And if I'm fishing a river, I will sweep it down 45 degrees and let it dig down in the current. Mm-hmm. So that's.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good use of that too, you know, taking different lures that stereotypically you'd use for. Bass and throwing it out for something else because in reality, most fish they all eat the same thing, they just eat smaller fish. You know, as long as you can find a smaller fish that's in that body of water, you have a lure that resembles it, you could probably catch something.
0: And that's something that bait fishermen or that bass fishermen say all the time match the hatch, yeah. And that's what fly fishermen say all the time, mm-hmm.
2: yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when so, when I go out fishing, um, I don't just
2: okay, I'm gonna go trout fish today, I don't just take out you know, my can of worms and a couple hooks. I take out my bass stuff. I take out my fly. So I take out everything I own. Even today, I knew I only took my fly pole, but I took every single other bait I had just because, you know, I'm not catching anything, you know, opposed from me stepping in the water and getting wet. Um, <laughs> if I would have been there probably another half hour without a bite, I would have pulled out some other stuff and just practiced with it. You can yeah. you've gotta practice what you're doing. You can't just go out and expect to be perfect and catch fish. I'm sure Jake will attest to that with bass fishing.
0: You're not gonna catch stuff. So But um no, I think that he's absolutely right. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, he called me Jake well, well, and I'm Zach, but it's all well, good. Like, it. That's okay. Um That's right. but no, I think that he's absolutely right. Cat uh, to attribute to that practice is so important. Something that yeah. bass fishermen and fly fishermen have that are so similar. And I I think this is also important, and I think that people don't think it's important in spinner fishing. But your lure or fly or bait placement. Oh you for have sure. to practice getting it there. Because if you're within, you know, these fish in the winter, they're cold. They don't want to move. Yeah. They are gonna put in as little effort as possible. And so if that bait is two inches to the right he's going to leave it. If it's two inches to the left, he's going to leave it. You have to put it within that four-inch block right in front of his nose. Um, Also, when your fly fishing dries, you can't put it too far off to one side or the other. Now, I've seen fish chase far, but they don't like doing it. Oh, no. They're kind of an opportunistic feeder. Yeah, you got to have the right
1: conditions to do that.
0: I have watched a hatch where there are literally hundreds of bugs on the water And a fish will selectively pick out a half a dozen where he'll eat them. You have to make your hatch look exactly like that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, The same thing with a, a lure. If there's a fish behind that rock, well, you gotta get that lure behind that rock somehow. And it may not be the easiest thing in the world. Maybe you have to drift right past that rock and give it a little jerk to start the motion, and he'll come out and grab it.
1: Yeah, maybe you gotta cast underneath a dock or something. Yep. There's a bunch of different obstacles.
0: And so you have to go where the fish are. You can't expect them to come to you. I know that people say there's a lot of fish in there, but they're going to hold to a certain area. And as you grow and experience, you'll learn where that is. I mean, in the winter, again, like Gibby was saying, go low. They're going to be deep because that's where the warmest part of the water is. Mm-hmm,
1: for sure. I think along with that, you know, I remember growing up learning how to fish. I mean, I'd just throw in a couple of weights on the end of my line. I just practiced casting. I'd sit in the backyard and I'd cast for hours. Um, same with fly fishing. I'd throw a weight or two on the end of my fly line. and I'd sit there and practice how far I could get
2: it out. Just well, not it. only that, but put umbrellas, out, or not umbrellas, sorry, hula hoops
0: out. Rings. Hit, hit the hula hoops. Yeah, get some Cheerios, targets. whatever. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think that's absolutely right. You've got to put it within such a distance to that fish that he'll come and grab it. So, But I think our next step is fly fishing.
2: Yeah. yeah
0: um, sure. Tell me, guys, about what your experience fly fishing is. Go ahead, Connor. Well, I don't do a ton of serious fly fishing.
1: Um, I didn't get the fly fishing merit badge when we were in scouts, but I, <laughs> I kind of got it by cheating a little bit. We were out fishing uh, Otter Creek Reservoir in southern Utah. I was sitting there casting out, trying to get my line far out, and I knew there was a little school of chubs not too far off the shore. I was trying to get it out past them, and I was going to strip it through their school. And <laughs> all of a sudden, my dad and my grandpa started yelling, Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Bring it back, bring it back. I had foul hooked a, uh, a chub. I hooked its back fin on my, uh, on my cast. And that's really probably the only fish I've caught with a fly just because i don't do it a whole lot i don't i haven't mastered i haven't practiced enough to really get that technique down
0: Gibby, go
2: ahead so i've been in the process you could say of learning how to
0: fly fish for about that right there is the most difficult part i applaud for you for sticking with it because that's hard
2: (laughs) well with with fly fishing it's not really just as easy as oh i'm gonna take my bucket of worms out and i'm gonna throw them in the water and catch fish it's you got to know the right fly, know the right depth, you got to have the right line, the right leader, right size, right color. Yep, exactly. And, and that's
1: where that research comes in beforehand.
2: And so I've I started learning to fly fish when I was probably about 10, 11, 12-ish and my grandpa was teaching me and then he got cancer and um, ended up dying what like 6 6 years ago from that. Um, yeah,
1: it was a year before my dad died, right? Yeah. Yeah, so 6 years ago almost seven.
2: So, you know, my my teacher kind of just abandoned me, you could say. <laughs> but um I've kind of been trying to teach myself a little bit more and I've I've got a couple other people that I know that fly fish and but with my experiences, I usually go out and I throw a worm in one way and I fly fish the other way and I catch a whole lot of weeds and a whole lot of trees. But it's kind of lots of trees. Yeah. It's just one of those <laughs> things that you got to go out and practice and you can practice all day in your backyard. But when it comes down to it, your backyard doesn't have the water flowing around your legs and pulling you in and not really making it very easy on you. So you kind of got to get some field experience. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. And I, I remember when I started fly fishing, my grandfather took me out to a uh, blue Creek reservoir and, uh, I don't think I kept that fly on the water for more than about two seconds at a time. And yeah. I think I pulled it out of about six fish's mouths before I finally caught <laughs> one of those stupid things. But I, I've spent a lot of time fly fishing, and I can not claim to be the best. But I can claim that I have figured out a pattern that I like. Um, and I'm going to let y'all in on, on a secret that I don't, I don't tell local fishermen for a very specific reason. Um, in my region and I don't understand this because it's not a color that's found out in nature, but I've started tying purple flies specifically for the express purpose that I I feel that it catches more fish. Um, And this comes back to what Connor, I told Connor years ago. Fish with confidence. If you don't think what you're going to catch, if what you're going to use is going to catch fish, then it won't. Um, And I feel like my purple flies work better than flies of a normal color. Um... Now, are these dark purple or light purple? Any kind of purple? I use any kind of purple. I like a shiny purple, though. Shiny purple. If I can get shine on it, it mimics... It catches their attraction more. Um, but there's nothing in nature on God's green earth that is a shiny purple color in <laughs> a trout's habitat. Can't,
1: you can't no. find a metallic purple. No. But
0: I've started using what's called ice dubbing. And it's purple and it's shiny. And I'll use that for uh, a lot of dubbing on my flies, especially my nymphs. Um, and if I can't use that, I've got a clear purple wrap that I use to wrap the body of the fly. Um, and I found for me, that gives me the boost of confidence that I need to fish that extra, that extra 10 minutes or fish that last run. Um, and last year, there was a time when my wife hadn't gone with me and I... Kicked myself in the pants because I didn't bring my GoPro with me. But I pulled up to this spot as my cousin and her, his friend were leaving, and I kind of got after him for not, you know, telling me I'd showed him this spot and he'd taken his friend there and, and hadn't invited me when he went. And I was a little, oh,
1: that irks me. I yeah, was a little hurt. Word to the wise if somebody shows you their spot, don't go out there without at least running it by them or inviting them. And we're going to run by etiquette after this,
0: because this this one's one that we need to run by etiquette.
1: Ask for permission to take somebody else to that spot, because it may be a spot they spent a long time trying to find, or a long time trying to find just what works right, and then to just take somebody else in there, it kind of hurts.
2: So I've I've got a story for that when we go over etiquette. Yep, and we'll go over that at the end of
0: the the episode, but I, I saw him pull out, and I called him, and I said, Hey, you know, I noticed that you guys were leaving the spot, and, you know, I... Wish I'd gotten a call from you. It would been nice to, to at least get an invitation. He's like, yeah, we're actually headed to practice now. I said, did you guys catch anything? He said, yeah, we only caught a few small ones. And I thought to myself, you know what would really show him? <laughs> I hooked into a decent one today. And I started fly fishing. I got halfway up the run that I really wanted to fish. And it was a spot that I don't fish very often. And it was really deep. I, I put my fly probably <clears throat> about five feet into the water. Which is pretty deep for me. I this run gets a maximum of six feet deep. I say
1: that's pretty deep for a fly to get a fly down there. Oh yeah,
0: and it really was. And uh, my fly, my my indicator, went under the water, and I figured ah, I snagged up again because I mean it's full of rocks and boulders underneath there. So every few minutes I'd get my fly or my indicator go under, and it was just a snag, and I pull on it, something pulled back, <laughs> and that indicator raced upstream in a way that i haven't seen that indicator race in years and uh, i ended up pulling out a really really beautiful chunky um cutthroat and i thought he would be long and thin because he's you know it's winter he hasn't been eating a lot Mm -hmm. but he was i mean he when i held him underneath his uh fins and on his tail he drooped and it was just a really fun fish to catch and to be able to go back there and catch after someone else has already fished that area just gives you that sense of I had that itch. Mm-hmm. I had that ability to catch it. And I tied that fly. And that was just a really special treat for me.
1: Yeah, that's a great way to build confidence too. Oh, for sure. Do um, you uh, still have a picture of that fish?
0: I, uh, I didn't have my phone with me that day or my GoPro. Oh. And it killed me. But I do have a picture, and we'll end up posting it, of a fish that was similar in size that I caught years and years ago on the same river, um, maybe 100 yards downstream from where I caught this one.
1: Awesome, yeah. So when we put this episode out, we'll have to post that on our social media for
0: everybody to see. Um, But in the springtime, I don't use any dry flies. I, I don't touch them. And this is coming from a fisherman who strictly adheres to dry flies when he can. I I love dry fly fishing, specifically only because I like watching them rise. I don't particularly care for the dry fly purists that say the only way to catch fish is dry flies.
1: Yeah, you just like watching that top water attack.
0: And that's my favorite thing of all, is when I get to watch a fish rise, and I know I put that right where he wants to be, and my imitation is close enough to what he's eating that I get to watch him come up, he gets to inhale it, and I know I've got it. After that, even if he spits the fly... I'm happy because i fooled him. Yeah. Um, For sure, that's
1: what fishing is really about, is just intimidation. That's, I think that's where the true sportman comes out during this, is knowing that you, who, you know, we obviously can't even begin to imagine what it's like to be a fish, what it's like to eat, like a fish, all this stuff, we were able to intimidate um, or imitate their their habitat, their food source, we were able to fool them into thinking that we were food and then they were able to
0: enjoy it and we had fun. Yep. But I think for spring fly fishing, there's really three different types of flies that guys use pretty strictly. You have your nymphs. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And uh, I think the way I've seen those most successfully fished with is with indicators. Um, and the reason being is you can fish a run a little faster with an indicator and you know, if you've got a fish touching it,
1: It, it's pretty easy. I think bringing up indicators, um, we should point out that you don't need a fly rod to fish with flies. Absolutely not. You You can can, definitely throw a bubble on your spinner reel or bait cast or whatever and throw a fly on the end of it and toss it under the river.
0: Well, and I say that any trout fisherman without a couple of flies in his box, is an incomplete trout fisherman. Because, I mean, even if you're doing that, I've had days where I'll outfish a a bait fisherman five to one. Um, And people say that fly fishing is more effective because there's more natural baits. But I've also seen days where trout or fly fishermen will get outfished five to one with their spinners. And so it's... You got to be versatile. You have to be. Yeah, for sure. sure. Um so
2: does that that finish up our fly portion of it or do you do Just we about. Okay. We also
0: have wet flies which imitates like a larva coming up. Um and I don't use those a lot. That's honestly my least used lure. Um and the last way to go is big. Yep. Now most guys will go I mean a size Anywhere from a size 16 to a size 20 hook this time of year. This is right when the ice is coming off. You want to change it up? I have caught some massive fish changing up and going big. Um, The year I got home with my mission, so it would have been 2017. No, 2018. 2018. So March of 2018, I was up fishing Island Park Reservoir with a couple of my buddies. And... We had a couple fish rising in the evenings, but it was still a little murky. And they tried fishing Box Canyon with these nymphs. And they caught a couple. Don't get me wrong. And so I went in and talked to the local fly guides. And they showed me what everyone was using and having a little bit of success with. And they said, no one's caught a lot. But they were using a size 16. And it was a Prince Adam's nymph. And so I thought, you know what, change it up. And so I spent the money and bought a great big double hooked sex dungeon is what it's called. (laughs) And it's a a two hook fly that's black and it weighs probably three eighths of an ounce. It's probably one of the heaviest flies I've ever thrown. But my buddy had his boat out and we were going to put it away. And as we were going to put it away, I had my line out just trolling. And I just was enjoying being out there and having fun and getting to enjoy the lake. When all of a sudden, I have had a hit that I've never felt before. And it whacked it so hard, before he had the motor turned off, it had hit my backing. Oh, wow. I mean, he just, I mean, he took it and he hit it like a freight train. And I actually ended up pulling it in. I do have a picture of this one. And it was a beautiful rainbow trout. And everyone that saw that picture that weekend, even fishing Game, said nothing was pulled out of there like that that weekend. Wow. So if things aren't working for you, change it up. If you're going small, go huge. And if you're doing something big, don't be afraid to throw that little 16 or 18-size hook. I know it seems like it's it's tiny, but... I mean, there's a reason they've got the twenty for twenty club where they catch twenty inch fish on twenty size flies. So you can do it. I mean you gotta be strategic, you gotta be smart, but do that.
1: Yeah, don't be afraid to change it up. We gotta I know I think I've been guilty of this, and I'm sure many fishermen have, where
0: every you, fisherman has. You
1: have what you like, you know what you like to use. Yep. And you don't like to stray from it. But what you like to use isn't what the fish is going for that day. You gotta get outside your comfort zone.
2: So something to go along with that, I was up at my cabin in this portion of river that I've fished for almost 18 years now, and I f- almost strictly throw worm. And just one summer, it wasn't I wasn't catching anything. I threw worm, nothing, and I probably spent three days throwing worms because that's what I throw there. That's the only thing I ever use there. And so finally got frustrated and. My little brother was actually sitting there, McKay, um, and he's like, why don't you throw some power bait? And I kind of got on him. I, I was pretty frustrated with him. Like, we don't throw power bait here. This is worm or spinner. He's like, just throw power bait out.
1: Now, I, I've been lucky enough to go out here with him and to fish this portion of the river that he's talking about. And we were killing it on worms. I mean, we were catching every, everywhere from probably 16-inch trout to 6-inch trout. On these worms. They were oh, just yeah. killing it.
2: And so finally he convinced me and I threw just a little bit of red power bait and it was like fish after fish after fish that day. So it, you can't be afraid to switch it up. You can't be afraid to go to something you're not as confident with, but you still got to trust it.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. And so I think that moves us from our, our fishing portion to the ethics portion. I think this, we're going to sit down for a little bit, and we're going to talk about ethics and, and our stories with ethics and how to approach things. Um, because there's a tactful way, and then there's a non tactful way. Right. Um, and I'll start this off with a story that I had when I was just learning to fly fish. There was a little boat ramp down by my house on a little honey hole that held browns. And uh, I got there about four o'clock one evening in the summer and I was so excited to fish. And uh, after this incident, I didn't pick up a fly rod for about four years um, because I thought all fly fishermen were you know, purists and kind of had their heads up where the sun don't shine. Holier than thou. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what ended up happening is I was on one side of the river and uh, a family come in behind me. And there was a larger gentleman, probably the grandfather. Um, and he sat about 10 feet from me. That's a little close. Way too close. And I didn't know this as a kid. And I didn't know how to approach it. Because I'm sitting there as 8, 9, 10 years old or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I cast a little close to his line. And he turns to me and he says, you shouldn't have cast there. What if a fish was going for my line? And, and he just spooked him off. And all I could think to myself is, what a jerk. Yeah. He comes over here in a place where I am clearly fishing, have been for a while. You know, I had my cooler on the bank. I had a chair set up. I had things there that had indicated that I'd been there for a while. And he comes up and starts fishing the same exact run, the same hole, the same fish that I'm fishing for, and has the audacity to tell me that I'm in his spot. Not to mention, how old did you say you were? I was... 8 to 10 years old at so most. just a kid. Yeah. And I i was... After that, I put down my fly rod for quite a few years. I'm ashamed to admit that I... had the... the understanding... wrongfully that all fly, sh- fly fishermen were that way. And so I went to spinners. I went to crankbaits. I went to everything but a fly. I refused to pick up a fly because I figured... If I picked up a fly, I would turn out like him. Yeah. And so if you have someone come to your hole, you have a couple of options. Your first option is to A, leave. You know, that's the non-confrontational way. If you don't want yep. to talk to them, that's fine. The second way, which is kind of a uh, little more confrontational, is you, you ask them where they're fishing, if they're in, where they're intending to fish. You know, you say, hey, you know, there's a run over there. I don't know where you guys are intending to fish, but I know there's a really good run over there. And that kind of leaves it so that they don't feel like you're being a jerk. Um, And then the third way is kind of the way that I now approach things. If someone comes in my hole and they start fishing either above my run right where I'm at or below my run right where I'm at, I say, hey, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm actually fishing this run. And if you wouldn't mind moving down a couple of yards to the next run or moving up a couple of yards to the the run above me, that would be amazing. But as you can clearly see, I've been here for a while. Um, And a lot of people don't like that I'm brash, and they'll leave. And that's okay with me. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I don't care if there's not another fisherman on that entire river. Um, I don't invite people to fish with me anymore. I've had people tangle my lines, cut my line, and it's ruined it for me quite a bit. Um, I do have one exception. My exception is people that are beginning. Yep, every single time. I will always, if there is a fly fisherman that I know, and you can tell by the way they're casting, if they're just learning, majority of the time what I like to do is I like to put my rod down. And I'll go over and I'll say, all right, so there's a boulder there, and I want you to cast about five yards ahead of it. If you'll cast five yards ahead of it and let it drift down, let's do that six times and see where you get. And I'll run them through that entire run and show them my thought process so that they can start to learn. That is my one exception, is people that are learning. Yep. But that's yep. my story with ethics and inviting people to your hole versus running them out.
1: Yeah, for sure, I think another way to approach that would be just simply like, hey, I don't want to uh, run into a situation where we end up tangling lines um, would you mind moving just, like you said, a couple yards down, a couple feet one way or the other, um, and that way you also present it as it's a win-win. You know. he doesn't want to tangle lines with you; you don't want to tangle lines with him. It's just a mess. It's kind of awkward sometimes. Um, you just want to avoid it altogether. Um, earlier, we mentioned going up and, you know, talking to other fishermen too. I think this is a great thing. I've used it before. You see somebody that's catching a lot of fish. You're having troubles. Go. Don't be afraid to go up and ask them. Don't be afraid to go up and ask, hey, um, what are you guys using? I see you catching a lot of fish. I'm not having great luck. What are you guys using, if you don't mind?
0: And you'll get two or three, you'll get three different responses from that. You'll either get the one that tells you to piss off. I've had that before. And And they have every right to do that. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of a poor sport way of doing it. You'll have the guys that act nice and lie to you, which I've had happen to me multiple times. And then you'll have the one guy that sits there and goes, I'm leaving. You can have it. And and gives you every piece of information you need. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've run into all three. And I don't hold a grunge against people that lie to me because I've done it. Um, you know, I don't want to yep. ruin my holes for other people. I don't want them to be able to catch every fish out of there. Um I don't tell them the exact opposite, but I don't tell them exactly what I'm using. I tell them the same color or maybe the, the same brand, but I'm not telling them the color. But that's something that you will get.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, if somebody comes up to ask asks you what you're using because you're having great luck, I honestly say don't be afraid to tell them. I mean, chances are they're going to be fishing yeah. the other side of the pond from you. Downshore a little bit um i don't think they're gonna take your fish unless they're fishing right next to you in which case you can ask them to move you know, cross lines and whatnot um but yeah the, the polite thing to do is just be a good sportsmen you know it's like being on a sports team we're all in this together we're all just trying to have fun out there catch fish you know don't be afraid to work together with other fishermen on the on the water
0: yeah and I think the one thing that Connor is that I have lost over the years of dealing with people, and I, I applaud him for it, is tact. You know, I'm pretty brash with people. I, I'll tell them what I think and how I think, and, you know, if they don't like it, there's other people that I can be friends with. Um, but Connor is pretty good about being tactful and a pretty polite guy, and I applaud him for that. So, you know, way to be a good sportsman about it. Thanks.
2: So then, on the other hand, we get to the asking um, for spots, asking for bait. What what are you using? Um,
0: And even with private land, asking if you can go fish that kind of an area, too. Yes,
2: you always, always, always ask permission. But one thing that I have been very good at, and Connor witnessed this the other day when we went to pick out some flies, we were sitting there looking at some, and this guy was sitting there, and he obviously knew a little bit about what he was talking about. We're looking for this specific fly, and... I asked Connor, hey, have you seen this one and this guy over here? And he says, Oh, it's on the other side. And so then I say, Hey, Connor, have you seen, have you seen this fly? And the guy said, Oh, it's it's kind of down a little bit further from where you're at. So to me, that indicates he's been here a couple times. He's bought many flies from here. He knows kind of what he's doing, and he's a fly fisherman, obviously. So, you know, I, I'm still, like I said earlier, I'm still starting out learning how to fish. So I said, hey. What, what do you fish with? Where 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 do you fish? And then I paused and said, If you don't mind me asking, you can tell me to piss off if you want to. And ninety eight percent of the time, you approach somebody with that. If you're not in the spot and you're just kind of there, they'll. He mapped out everywhere to go, what to use, how to use it, and we probably had a fifteen minute conversation about everything he was talking about, huh?
1: Yeah, for sure. That guy, he was super nice. He always felt, he felt so comfortable with us coming up. He had recently fished the area you were going to, actually. And, you know, he shared with us things that he saw working, things that he saw in his group. Um, It was just all around a pleasant conversation. I think that goes along. You can be, play with other fishermen outside the water. I mean, you see somebody, especially somebody new, that's out in the store or something. You know, I've run into with people who are hunters. I had one guy stop me purely because I was wearing, <laughs> I was wearing a camouflage hoodie, so he figured I must know something about uh, shooting, and so he asked me about some questions he had about shotgun shells, and I was more than happy to answer it for him. He was looking for some home defense shells. And,
0: and that, I think, is probably one of the best ways to gather information. Um, the guy out on the water that's having a little bit of success is going to be a little less likely to share with you information than the guy in the shop. Yep. Where did you talk to the guy that was... So, I buy
2: almost every single thing that I fish with, um, even hunt with, I buy almost all of it from Sportsman's Warehouse.
1: Sportsman's is a great place for flies. You can get like 25
2: flies for under $2. Yep. It was like $1. nine if you bought 25 or more.
0: See, and I, uh, I buy from all over, um, but one of my favorite places is also Sportsman's, but I think that in the store, especially if you guys have a local fly shop, um, I'm really, really lucky. About 15 minutes from my house, we have a local fly shop. Um, and oh, I'm going to throw, really throw a plug in here for these guys because they're, they're one of my favorite outfitters ever. They're great guys, but uh, Idaho Fishing Outfitters. Um, these guys are just crazy, wicked great. Um, they're great to work with. They're great about giving you advice, too. Um, when I first started trying to get back into fly fishing, I'd go in there and say, you know, I'd be in there every week, and, hey, you been fishing at all this week? How, how, how have you done? Uh, what would you use? And he was never the guy to go, piss off, you're a 15-year-old kid. What are you doing here? <laughs> um, but he'd come to me and he'd say, hey, you know what? You're a new fisherman getting into this, and I don't fish the same stretch of river as you, but here, let me take you to the guy that does. And I was lucky enough to have had actually met him at the boat ramp that I was fishing earlier that week. Oh, that's cool. Um, and he's the owner of the shop. And he said, you know what? Here's what we use when we float that. And, and here's this. And through doing that, I started to learn the, the cycles of different flies. And so now I know, you know, hey... After the, the ice thaws out, when it first starts getting warm, I'm going to look for salmon flies. I mean, I know there's midges and everything on the water, but I really want to get that salmon fly bite. Big bugs, it's going to be fun. You're going to watch the explosive blow-ups. And then after that, I'm looking for the elk hair caddis. And after I get the caddis, I'm looking for the, the PMDs. And after the PMDs, I'm starting to start wind down my fishing and go start looking in more hunting gear. Um, and so I know from probably March until the end of August, what hatches are going on and what I need to be looking for. But I got that through talking to guys at my local fly shop. And I was really lucky to have guys that were kind enough to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, going back to ask people about spots, how do we usually approach that? I know I usually just start texting people or you know, I'll, like, I'll go up to sportsmen, look like at their fishing reports. Or I'll keep an eye on fish brain and see you know, what people are
0: catching at what ponds, what they're using. One thing that's key: don't ask for their spot. Yep. Don't don't ask to park in their their parking spot. Don't ask to go exactly where they're at. You ask them for a stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be your best tactic. You know, what's the best stretch of river to fish this time of year that you know of? What what have you experienced this time of year? This best stretch, and or I just, know guys that'll give you two miles, and I know guys that'll give you twenty yards.
1: Yeah, or just you know the pond. Hey, I'm going to Cove Pond or Deer Creek. What have what have you seen been working up there? Um, as far as private land, What how do you guys approach that? I mean, I know I've personally never really asked for permission to hunt or fish private land. But this other podcast that we too to, they did a whole episode on hunting private land. Um, so you just kind of want to talk about that a little bit. How would you go about it, Gibby?
2: Well, I've got kind of a different situation. Um... I hunt down in Cedar City, Utah area, uh, strictly, strictly bow hunting. And my family kind of helps settle cedar a little bit. We've got a portion of land um, that's down there, and Some of our family doesn't really like that we hunt on it. And so we've got a neighboring, um, neighboring family that owns a, a bigger bigger stretch of land and that we've had a deal with them. They, they push their sheep through our land um, mid fall, we can hunt on their land. And so it's kind of just for me, I, I'm hunting up there and I see him, I go, Hey, you know, I'm so-and-so son. He's talked to so-and-so about hunting here. So you almost is, go through connections. Yes. So is that, are you guys okay with me being here? If not, I can leave. I'm okay with that. But if I don't, if I don't personally know, like, what's going on, I don't have that connection, you know, I get on that Onyx hunt, see who owns it, and I look them up and try to find them and go talk to them.
0: And one thing that worked for me as a kid, I mean, before smartphones were real real prevalent, um, dude, boot work. Pound the pavement, knock the doors. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're talking hunting, doesn't matter if you're talking fishing. Um, I've got access to a couple miles worth of private land um, along the Snake River just because I, I number one, I pounded the pavement and asked. I said, hey, you know, would you be willing to let me fish here for a weekend? Or would you let me come back tonight and fish? Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, sure, I don't mind if you fish. Or uh, I'd come over, hey, do you mind if I hunt your property? And they'd say, well, you know, we have a guy that comes down every once in a while, and so we can't give you just unlimited, un- unrestricted access. But hey, if you want to knock on the door, we're more than happy. But another thing to do, and this will buy you more goodwill than everything, and we were listening to a podcast about this earlier. Yeah. Um, be willing to give them something.
1: Oh, yeah, like, for sure. Off, Every offer single time. A, offer a share of your, your, your bag. Take.
0: But yeah. even if it's not a, a share of your bag, something.
2: Yeah. yeah. And when you're offering up, like, if you if you ask to go deer hunt, and, you're, you know, they say, yeah, go for it. You don't just offer them up some of your meat that's going to go in the grind pile, you're going to offer them like a quarter of your backstrappers strap or you know, something decent where they go, oh, okay, yeah, this guy really mm-hmm. appreciates what I'm doing.
1: Yeah, I think that's key to show gratitude. You know, Thank you so much. Um, is there anything special you want me to do? You know, An area you want me to stay out of? Yep. Um, is there anything I can do for you in
0: return? And something that will get you onto more land than anything else and something that will get your name to more farmers and hunters out there than anything else. Pick your crap up.
2: Oh, yeah. If you pack it in, pack it out. Don't leave anything. Leave I, no cannot,
0: I cannot tell you how many pieces of land have been shut off to me hunting because hunters leave their crap around. Um, and this will get under any farmer's hair, and he will shut hunting down or fishing down quicker than you can say hunting or fishing.
1: Yeah, don't, don't be the guy that ruins it for everybody else. Um, and going back to offering them stuff, if they don't want some of your fish or your ducks or your deer or whatever, say, you know, well, where do you like to eat? Let me go buy a, a gift card or something, or, you know, maybe buy them a whiskey or a drink or whatever.
0: They're like, I don't know. Yep. A $30 bottle of whiskey will buy you a lot of goodwill. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then you also got to listen to special requests to like right now, my brother, he's really trying to build up our population, our, you know getting our deer more wide, mm-hmm. taller, thicker. And so basically he said, hey, if you see a a spike that looks really wide, leave it. If you see a big buck, leave it. Shoot the smaller ones, kind of just try to build the bigger population. Yeah,
1: Don't be afraid to ask for specifications too, like what do you consider a big one? Yeah. You know, give me give me a limit.
0: Exactly. You
1: know, I know there's some, like I think Strawberry Reservoir, they have really weird fish limits. You know, like yes. If
0: it's... Over this or I, under this? I don't
1: know for sure off the top of my head, but if it's like, it's something like if it's probably five, over... five to eight inches it has to go back and like 16 to 24 inches it has to go back, but anything else you can keep, it's really weird. Yeah. And that goes back to like we talked last time, you know, keep those regulation guidebooks with you at all times so you can reference them when you need to.
0: Yep. And one last thing that I'd like to share before we sign off here is a story of a guy that I was, I was reading his article. And uh, he went to a farmer's field, and he asked the farmer, can I hunt here? And they had a pheasant open, goose open, and duck open. And that farmer told him under no uncertain terms was he's a step foot on that field. And so they went out further past that farm, and they actually ended up shooting their limit of ducks that day. And they came back to the farmer's field, and they saw the farmer taking off with a trailer load of pigs. And uh, they're like, well, we could call the farmer's wife. (laughs) and so they they went in and talked to the farmer's wife and she gave him permission and uh about halfway through that hunt the farmer came home and ripped into him and uh they were like well your wife gave us permission and he kind of got a good chuckle out of it for the first 10 minutes and then the one guy said you know you are probably in the wrong on that and the other guy said yep you're you're right and they came back to this farmer and uh before he could even get in any chewing out as they passed the farmer farmhouse they said we're sorry um We'd really like to offer you our haul. Do you guys eat ducks and geese? Yeah? He said, we'd love to give it to you. And he's like, I don't have time. Um, and he's like, they said, well, that's fine. We'll clean them. And so they sat there with the farmer for a little bit and started cleaning. He got to the point where he cooled down and the farmer came and said, I'm, I'm real sorry. My farmhand quit this week and I got to get this hay in before before the rain comes. Like, I can't have it out after the rain. The kids said, why hell? Why didn't you say anything? And so he came back the next Saturday and brought the farm hands along and said, we're here to help. They had it in by noon that day, and I think he's hunted that field ever since that day. He's hunted That's it every year.
1: It's an awesome story. It's um, getting about time for us to wrap it up. We've been going a little long. We, yep. I know when we started this, we wanted to keep it, you know, at least forty-five minutes. <laughs> we, we, we were worried about that. That's harder to do than we thought it would. But uh, uh, if you guys stay patient with us, we're planning on starting a YouTube channel up pretty soon. We'll put a lot of stuff we've been talking about. We'll put it up mm-hmm. on there. You know, how to tie flies, how to fish, how to hunt. You know, do calls. All this stuff we're planning on doing eventually. Um, but until next
0: time, I'm Connor. I'm Zach. I'm Gibson.
1: I'm Melissa. I'm Michaela.
0: And this is Hunger for the Outdoors. Thanks, guys. Have a good week.